This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 500 for March 23rd, 2016. I am your host, Sarus Faravar. Joining me as he is every week is Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. Hello, Glenn. Hello, Sarus. It's great to be back, but oh, wait a minute. Something's wrong here, I think. What's wrong, Glenn? Well, I think we're pulling a prank on the audience because it is episode 500. Ah. Hello, Saroos. (laughs) Just want to give people a little cognitive dissonance as they tune in. Uh, Folks, I've invited Saroos Faravar, who is senior business editor at Ars Technica, onto the Macworld podcast to pull this little joke because Saroos was the founder of the Macworld podcast. Saroos, you started this back in July 1st, 2005, after what I believe was an internship at Macworld, but you were still working there. You moved on to doing staffing style jobs. Yeah, that's right. Um, I had been in my senior year at UC Berkeley, an intern at Macworld, and then I left Macworld for a while to go to graduate school in New York. And when I came back, uh, I was fortunate enough to get rehired um, back at Macworld. And um, this was, you know, sort of in the very early days of podcasting. When I was um, living in New York as a student, um, I actually wrote the first article uh, ever for the New York Times about podcasting. And I was really into the medium. I thought it was really, really fun. And and creative, and it was a great new way to do audio. And then, so I suggested that Macworld um, might want to try it, and they said, "Yeah, go for it." And so, uh, you know, I was like, "Okay, I need like this kind of microphone and this kind of recorder and this software." And they're like, "Okay, here it is. Go do it." Um, so, that, <laughs> and so uh, that's sort of how it started. That's you know, the funny part too is uh, I was asked to come on as host about a year ago uh, when Chris Breen left to go work for a fruit company somewhere in Silicon Valley, and. Uh, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I was on the the podcast a long, long time ago, back in its early days. You interviewed me as guest number one on episode number one, which I'd forgotten entirely until last year. (laughs) We were talking about Bluetooth 2.0, I think, is the the topic. Well, you've gone on, you know, I know your career now is uh, is online print mostly, but you contributed to Deutsche Welle, to 99% Invisible. Uh, You were a radio reporter fairly intensely during part of this intervening decade. Yeah, totally. Um, in my uh, around 2005 and in the immediate years after that, uh, a lot of my career was in radio. I, I as you say, was hosting the Macworld podcast as part of my regular job for Macworld, and then um, yeah, went on to do a lot of freelancing for uh, American Public Radio for shows like The World, for All Things Considered, Morning Edition, stuff like that. I was on uh, Canadian Public Radio, CBC, a show called Spark, uh, and then yeah, for two years I had my own like actual radio show that was internationally syndicated out of. Uh, Deutsche Welle English, which is the German international uh, radio broadcaster, public broadcaster. Uh, it was a show called Spectrum, and it uh, aired, uh, still airs, actually, around the world, um, half an hour once a week in English about uh, European science and technology news. And yeah, these days, I don't do as much audio. I still love the medium. It's really fun. Uh, I try to do it when I can, but I don't, I don't get to do it as often as I might like. Well, I want to bring up your current career, too, because it's near to dear to my heart, is you read a lot about security and privacy, the intersection of uh, government surveillance and people's digital lives. That seems like a big brief at Ars Technica. It is. Um, and actually, um, you know, today, as we record, uh, today is the early in the morning um, on uh, Tuesday, March 15th, 2016. And, um, you know, today is the day that that Apple is expected to file its last final brief in this uh, iPhone San Bernardino case. Um, And actually, a week from today, I will be flying down uh, very early in the morning to Riverside, California, in Southern California, uh, to go to this court hearing. And and, and this, I feel like, is a real kind of distillation of all the things that I love 
about um, my job. It, it, it touches on issues of the law. It touches on issues of privacy and surveillance. It touches on, you know, Apple products. It touches on, you know, an iPhone uh, at the end of the day. And, you know, and these are real, these are really important issues um, that I think are, are not only important to me and lots of our technical readers, but, you know, lots of listeners of the Macworld podcast, lots of Macworld readers, I would think. Well, I told I totally agree with you. As someone who writes about this stuff constantly, I th- I thought at first uh, when I started a column a year and a half ago for MacWorld, totally dedicated to security, privacy, and encryption. I'm like, well, it might be hard to write something every week. Oh my gosh, was I wrong? <laughs> 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 Has not been an issue. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's certainly a deluge of of issues and and bugs and and malware and 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 just privacy issues to think about. It's a it's a never ending story. It's, it's really fascinating. Um, and yeah, so my, you know, as soon as we get off the, off this, off of this call, I'm going to be go checking the, I'm literally going to be go pulling up the, the, the federal court filings and seeing if Apple has filed. They have until the end of the day, but I'll be checking that throughout the day, uh, to see what Apple has to say in, in their last filing before the, before the actual hearing. You have found the right job. And, uh, but thank you for joining, uh, joining me to, to celebrate the 500th episode almost 11 years of podcasting yeah uh, continuously at macworld thank you for getting this thing off uh, to a good start i wouldn't be doing this for the last year either so thanks to Roose for joining us and introducing episode 500 my pleasure thank you glenn great to talk to you again cheers well, thanks again to Sarus Farvar for being part of that little joke. It's great to have uh, him on episode 500. We've been around for a while. Uh, I've been doing this now for over a year and with my regular co-host, Susie Oaks, executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hey, Glenn. Happy 500. Happy, Happy birthday. Fi- We're 500 years old today. The world was created Yay. 500 years ago. America is 500 and the Macworld podcast 500. Also joining us is a voice that longtime listeners will, rec- will uh, recognize, Jason Snell. The proprietor of six I cre- colors. I created the Macworld podcast 500 years ago. I'll have you know. It's true. <laughs> That's the my old, story, and I'm sticking to it. The oldest podcast known Thank to me. Thank you, Jason. We used to chisel the notes onto stone tablets. Now it's much That's easier. Right. The technology's uh, advanced a lot since 500 years ago. <laughs> well, who knew we'd reach 500? But uh, and, uh, and jeez, I know it's 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 a landmark. <laughs> It's a it was an boy. experiment, as, as as I'm sure Sarus told you. It, it was it was like, well, sure, podcasting. Let's give that a try. It was just totally an experiment, and here it is, 500 episodes later. It's it's a fad. I keep telling everybody it's a fad. It's no. It'll blow over like the internet. Yeah, that's right. They'll Hitting speak. 500 is also a fad. Didn't I think Imore just hit 500 the other day? Oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of anniversaries. Yeah. Yeah, Everybody had that same idea 500 episodes ago. 2006 was a brand new year. I think I had a podcast. I was running a, a Wi-Fi networking news back then, and I tried a podcast. I did like 30 episodes over a few months to see if I could attract sponsorship or anyone was listening. In the end, I was like, nah. It's <laughs> it was fun to do, but eh, Wi-Fi might be too particular, even uh, in the, the interest in those days. Well, we got a lot to talk about this week, and we're going to – we're going to get to it, uh, and later we'll have a special guest from the past. The Macalope is going to drop in, or rather we're wow. going to drop in on him in his uh, forest uh, domains. And um, we start off here, let's just talk briefly about the Department of Justice hearing. Hey, never mind, guys. We don't. <laughs> what hearing? We don't, well, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. Sorry, our bad. That was- uh, Hearing, I barely knew her. That was <sighs> hard of Yeah, hard, that was so weird. That was oh, super breaking news on Monday afternoon that um, the department, the FBI said, you know what? 
we actually we can get into this phone by ourselves. Which <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> other people had been saying the whole time. I mean, Susan Landau at the the congressional hearing is like, why don't you ask the NSA? And James Comey of the FBI kept saying like, oh, we've we've talked to other agencies in the government and they won't do anything. Um, no one will help us. Only Apple can do it. Like that, they stressed this over and over again. The reason they needed this All Writs Act court order was because only Apple had the expertise to get into the phone. Um, John McAfee was like, "I can get you into that phone by five o'clock this afternoon." I mean, so many other people. Edward Snowden was like, "There's no way you need them to get into the phone." Yeah. But um, yeah. So it turns out, and Apple has no idea what happened. Like I jumped on. They do these conference calls about this case sometimes, where you can get on with some of the lawyers and they talk on background and they were flabbergasted they had no clue they were like we don't know who they talked to we don't know what they know we don't know what their alleged method is we're really curious we hope that they tell us because you know the government has a a bad reputation of you know exploiting software vulnerabilities without disclosing them to the companies who could fix them um, so, you know, Apple's hoping, which might be wishful thinking, that if the FBI <laughs> did actually figure out how to get in, that they will share this information with Apple. Um, I would not hold my breath for that. But yeah, it's it's bananas. It's getting crazier and crazier. So now what is going to happen is the government has until April 5th to provide a status update, as requested by Judge Pym. And we'll see where we go from there. They could drop the whole case and then it's, you know, we're done. Or they could continue to to press this this court order. We don't really know what's going to happen. I got, a, I got a sidebar in there, too, is the New York Times dropped this story yesterday because in preparation for the trial, thinking it'd be interesting to have some background on the judge. And they had it in prep. And so they dropped it anyway because it was just ready, I think. And it's like, Judge Pim, airplane hit her house destroying it. And she's like, eh, did you see this story? What? She... In 2003, an airplane struck her house where she and her husband and children lived, completely destroyed it. They were unharmed. I don't know if they didn't say if they were there or not, but they were unharmed. Later, a colleague asked her about it. She said, yeah, plane hit my house. It was really weird. And you're like, it was like the most nonchalant, unflappable judge. And I think they just had this like, you know, a little bit of a background personal story they dropped just to uh, human interest. You know, it was very funny. Wow. She's badass. (laughs) Unflappable, I guess. Yeah, I know. But uh, yeah, the uh, the word on the street from security people I follow on Twitter is that it's likely an FBI contractor who already works with them came to them and said, hey, we think we got something figured out because they all keep zero days and other stuff in abeyance to sell when the time is right. And uh, the uh, the thought is that that NAND uh, duplicating where you take the NAND uh, RAM that uh, uh, where the um, passcode information is stored, you can uh, very carefully take the thing apart image it and then create duplicates and so every time you hit that 10 limit you basically wipe it and you start over again so the thought is there may have been some optimization there that's not like a flaw in passcode but that someone said look we can do this and we figured out a technique and we've tested it on you know 10 phones and we know it'll work so the two-week thing is them being able to then take this technique that they believe they've proven put into effect and show that it's plausible to uh, to grab the information yeah i'm deeply skeptical of the fact that this is even a uh uh, a new development because yes, yeah, exactly. and if it is a new development, it's a new development because the FBI scrupulously didn't ask anybody like they didn't want to know. La 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 la. I can't hear you. <laughs> we are the only ones who can do this because they were trying to make a point. And, right. um, and then what, again, not a lawyer, um, 
none of us are, but I kept hearing from people who know a lot more about uh, law stuff that uh, Apple's case was looking pretty good and that the government's case was looking like a mess. And it's very interesting that perhaps um, given how the conversation is going and what the arguments were like from Apple's lawyers that the FBI uh, decided to essentially cut bait on this case and uh, use other means and also use that as an excuse to just back away from this case entirely. I think it's very plausible. It's very plausible. It's like this isn't the hill you die on because you want the bigger hill. Uh, Gordon Ung of yeah. uh, IDG, you know, a well-known tester, reviewer in the uh, fine uh, IDG group that we're part of, uh, Susan and I, uh, he, um, his contention is that the government never gives up. The government continues to, to test and like this one, okay, that's fine, but they're going to have a better case and a better case. And the other thing yeah, is sure. this, may, this may be uh, them moving back into the shadows and now doing more back channel and putting more direct or well, indirect pressure on Cook as well. Also, don't, don't something that you you both mentioned that I think is really interesting um, is this game of cat and mouse. I mean, Susie, you mentioned talking to the lawyers that they don't really know what what's going on, and that the government, you know, maybe maybe has found something, but it isn't sharing it with them. I I do wonder if that's the ultimate outcome of this, especially if there isn't a uh, you know a a new law passed or a major court ruling on this stuff. If this is what the end result is, is uh, that law enforcement doesn't want to have a conversation about it in the end, and instead what they want to do is the government is going to start conducting essentially like espionage on tech companies like Apple and they're going to play that cat and mouse game and they're going to try to find all the security holes and not report them because they're going to want to use them and maybe even, and I know this sounds kind of crazy and paranoid, but I don't think it is, maybe even infiltrate Apple, get people within Apple to reveal information about uh, the security problems in the operating system so that they can crack them on the outside And, and that would be, that's kind of scary to think that, that, um if the government, if we go, yay, the government doesn't have access to all of the stuff, they're not going to force Apple to break their encryption. Um, but if the end result is no, instead the government is going to really invest in hacking uh, the security on all of Apple's devices. <laughs> is that better? I don't know. Would- yeah, the court case seemed kind of bananas, but at least it was, you know, in court. So everything was like open and we could find out, you know, what they were saying and the arguments that they were making on both sides. Um, so yeah, the lawyers on the call la- yesterday, they sort of, they almost sounded like if, if the case got dropped, like that would be a little bit of a bad thing because then, yeah, they would have less of a chance of, of knowing what's going to happen. Right. And I mean, Apple's objective in this whole thing was, um, they were really pushing for, for legislation to kind of codify the rules about this. And we could get away from the All Writs Act, which is just kind of like a catch all, you know, like issue whatever warrants are necessary and proper um, into like, you know, something more like Kalia, but updated for these digital times and um, really spell out like, you know, what law enforcement is allowed to ask for because, yeah, now they're just kind of back in the shadows. I I also have to wonder, uh, like, so there's issues about the core engineers who are the only ones qualified to work on this or know the inner workings. Uh, One security expert pointed out there's only a handful of people who have ostensibly memorized the passcodes to some of the keys to the kingdom that Apple has, those are probably not actually written down, but are memorized by multiple people. There's even issues like, and you know, not proposing the U.S. government might engage in this, but there's um, blackmail and kidnapping. And I have to wonder if you're a key employee at Apple in those areas, does Apple have like security that's monitoring you and your family? Like, there's all kinds of things. It's not you know 24 or murder mystery or you know or international spy mystery. 
These things happen routinely. Corporate espionage is a big deal, and governments engage in corporate espionage, uh, you know, both for secrets and for their own uh, country's um, benefit as well. So um, I don't know if this is a wonderful time to be an engineer in those divisions at Apple or not, or you feel like you're fighting a good fight or, or what, but it's uh, it gets into it gets a little scary at this point when it goes sub rosa. Uh, yeah. Yep. Don't the do government's see, going dark. <laughs> don't, do you see any black uh, tinted window vehicles following you? Then you know what's yeah. going on. Uh, well, getting out of the, the dark, from the darkness comes brightness. And, um, uh, I was singing Kumbaya at the end of, uh, yesterday's Apple, uh, event announcing a bunch of new things because we started off with, uh, the environment and, uh, and health and, uh, privacy. And, um, we all joined hands and solved all the problems of the world. And then there were new phones and iPads. Um, and, uh, <laughs> so this is this, uh, Jason, you were on the spot, you were on the scene um, when this came out, last event in the memorable uh, town hall at Apple's campus. Yeah. I was there. What would you like to know? It, it's a small, <laughs> it's a small room. I've been there many times, and perhaps never again because they're gonna they're gonna move it off. We we did a piece in Six Colors, Stephen Hackett and I, about the history of that event going back to the uh, the iPod launch. There were events there before then, but the internet uh, history on the internet uh, historical research gets really sketchy um, after a while. It's hard to find archived material from from the periods before that. And then Apple's uh, tra- post sort of Jobs arrival transition, everything was kind of messy too, but. Uh, um, lots of great events there, including the iPod launch and uh, iOS uh, original like App Store and uh, de- third-party development for iOS. And and uh, this is probably the capper because they're going to move to the new campus next year and they're, they're going to have a fancy like 1,000-seat uh, auditorium. And this is just a little 300-seat auditorium. But uh, yeah, it was packed. And uh, and uh, we gave the room a good send off, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I had the I heard a lot of. Um, it sounded like they're making the audience more thoroughly when I was watching. So there's a lot of applause at different points. And at one point, I'm tweeting. I'm like, just to just to remind you, it's not just all reporters in the room. There's analysts, no, VIPs, the, Apple employees. It's not. Yeah, you know, the, it's not reporters first, applauding Apple. First three or four rows are Apple plants. Um, you know, it's people who are speaking at the event. I mean, first off, it's such a small venue. The first row is like literally Phil Schiller. Uh, Tim Cook, uh, Greg Joswiak. Yeah, saw down there. Yeah, yeah it's it's all like the high powered executives at Apple are in the first row, and then some of them are in the second row. So that's hilarious. Um, some of the speakers were even not like on the aisle in the second row. So uh, there's not a lot of room. They're all right there. I watched Tim Cook watching Phil Schiller while he was giving his presentation because <laughs> Tim Cook was sort of like right between my eye line and Phil on the stage. That's hilarious. Um, so I was watching watching Tim sitting there watching watching Phil. It's it's a super small uh, venue and there's One no the real f- backstage area. It's just we all just are, are crowded in there. In fact, I was on the in like the fifth row. I could hear. Uh, I could hear Tim Cook's actual speaking voice just as clearly as I could hear his voice in the speakers behind me. That's so funny. it's crazy. The first, one of the first times I went there, um, when the PR people were letting me in, they were like, "Can you try to type quietly?" Oh, I was oh like, my gosh. "What?" And they're like, "They're like, well, you're live blogging, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of what I'm here for." And they were like, "Okay, well, we just want you to type quietly." And I was like, "Oh, okay." I was like, "I, I you know, I got a MacBook." Pro, so I'll, I'll type pretty quietly, but it was really funny. They were worried, and then um, I don't remember if it was that time or another time, but I was sitting next to like a non-journalist. I don't. Know, he was just like watching. I don't know if I don't think he worked for Apple, but he didn't silence his phone. Oh, geez. and his phone rang while Steve Jobs was talking. 
Oh. And he let it ring like three times before oh, he finally like fished it out of his suit pocket and silenced it. And Steve Jobs is like glaring in the direction. <laughs> like oh. if he had laser eyes, he would have like killed everyone in like the whole vicinity. And like I'm like trying to do one of those like subtle points, like pointing to the I guy. And I'm like, it's, it's not him. me. Because like I really thought that he thought it was me and that I was never going to get asked back. So. Well, you yeah, know, the new was... auditorium is going to be uh, a Faraday cage, so no electronic signals from the outside will be allowed. <laughs> it should be. I would, possible. Do, I would do that if I were them, just run their own Wi-Fi network inside the thing. Uh, well, so the, the iPhone SE was announced, and this was a widely expected, widely discussed, and most of the details, I think almost every detail, was uh, pretty well known in advance. But, you know, they actually have to produce the thing. Uh, Jason, you did the hands-on review. You got t- hands-on time afterwards and wrote at Macworld about about it uh seems like a, a classic device yeah it's uh it is a more or less most of the features of an iphone 6s trapped in the body of an iphone 5s um <laughs> in, in fact i brought my my gold iphone 5s with me and i i took some pictures there's some pictures in that story on MacWorld. um of the of the two together, and really they are identical. The only differences are the little chamfered edges are are matte instead of shiny, <laughs> and um, they're that, bead blasted. Yeah, yeah. So so it's a slightly different. And then like if you look on the back, the the like the the words on it, one of them says SE, and the other one just says iPhone. And the Apple logo on the back is a is a, a stainless steel uh, uh, cutout instead of a. Uh, a silk screen, basically, mm-hmm. but essentially they are the same. They use the same external structure um, and then just swap the internals. And it makes sense because the 5S is long in the tooth, and yet Apple has seen a lot of value in uh, in selling four-inch phones around the world and having it be the low-price phone. It's it, this is the uh, this is the free with two-year contract price point. If you're if you're still doing that sort of that sort of math, it, so it's the lowest of the of the Apple. Um, uh, phone prices, but uh, you know, the 5s doesn't do lots of stuff, in, including I think most importantly, doesn't doesn't do uh, Apple Pay. So the new phone is uh, mostly a 6s in terms of the processor. It's got Apple Pay. It's got upgraded wireless stuff in it. The uh, the camera is the 6s camera. The front facing camera is a, still a lower quality camera than on the than on the 6s. Uh, but the, ba- the but the rear camera is the 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 nice camera. And uh, it doesn't do touch ID or it doesn't do 3D touch. It does touch ID and, and Apple Pay. So it's you know it's not every feature of the 6s, but it's most of the features in the 6s in that familiar four inch size from the iPhone 5 and 5s. So if you're somebody who liked that size and either upgraded to a six because you wanted the snazzy new features, but um, doesn't love the size of it, or you're somebody and I know people like this who have clung to the 5s, yeah, yeah. hoping that there would be an update at some point it's for that si- size and shape. I know, and 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 even without those people, Apple says that they sold. I, I did a calculation. It's roughly like between 10 and 15 percent of all the iPhones sold in the last year were four inch phones, which is oh not huge. Yeah. No, but, that, but that's at a time when it's a two and a half year old phone that they sold, still super sold 10 high or 15 percent. That. That's the thing is they make so yeah. much money. Uh, you know, what's funny, I think when you describe the form factor and what it does is I think, you know, uh, years ago they were trying to – like the inside of a phone or a laptop was as much circuitry as they could cram and what was left over was battery. Now it's like the circuitry is a very small part and it's like as much battery as they can fit in, which is a lot. So the Mac, the 12-inch MacBook, if you open it up and they had pictures, you know, even when they launched that a year ago – the computer part of the MacBook is practically nothing. It's a tiny part of it, and the rest is 
battery. And I feel like, you know, you can take the iPhone 6S now, you can take the computer part of it, uh, you know, the, the phone part, and it's really a minuscule part and it's mostly battery. So it's like, well, what kind of case are we putting? How much battery can we fit into this case? Let's make a smaller case with less battery, but it also is a smaller screen. So we get the same battery life. It's kind of a, it's a different, uh, different world. I'd love to see comparisons actually. I'm sure someone's laid that out of like the amount of circuitry in the original iPhone as it's gone through to the present day, uh, relative to the battery volume. But yeah, it's, uh, my wife has an iPhone five that has been limping along. It's near death and, um, we'll be ordering a new one on March 24th. Yeah, I think they're going to sell a lot of them because I, I think I think it is not outside the realm of possibility that this is this could make up twenty percent of iPhone sales over the next year because if it was thirteen percent ish, um, because Apple disclosed a number that doesn't necessarily line up with Apple's financial quarters when they report total statistics, so I'm fudging it. But it, let's say it's you know thirteen twelve percent of total sales when it's a two and a half year old phone. Well, a brand new iPhone six S class phone of this size for uh, essentially, you know, zero dollars with two-year contract. I think they're going to sell more than they've been selling the last year and a half, right? So I think it could be big. It's not going to be the biggest iPhone uh, in sales or size, but I think it. Uh, I think it's going to be a strong part of the lineup, and and that's I, that's the that's part of the story of this event. I think is this is about Apple filling gaps in its lineup because uh, its lineups are more complicated than well, than it used to be. The contracts are all dead, though. It's really now you're looking at like the monthly, yeah. and it's like seventeen bucks a month for the entry level uh, one um, and that's not and with uh, I don't forget if you get the one year Apple's if you trade not doing, in an old phone you can get it down to like 10 yeah, and yeah. They're, they're not doing an Apple uh, iPhone upgrade plan with this but you can do the trade in plan so you can still get it mm-hmm. through Apple that way but even the carriers I think you might be on an 18 month schedule or 12 depending on, on what plan you do but you're paying like you know 20 bucks or less a month to get this phone which is pretty good comparable you know compared to like almost uh, 35 or 40 I think I'm paying almost $40 with the iPhone uh, upgrade plan to get a uh, iPhone 6S uh, with 64 gigs. Let's talk about storage. 16 gigabytes is still the entry uh, level uh, storage model for this, the $400 model. Um, I think that's inadequate. Uh, and I got a lot of interesting pushback on Twitter when I was joking about this. Uh, uh, Susie, what do you think? Is 16 gigabytes too little for a phone introduced even for this kind of model in, in 2016? I mean, I'm with you. Um, we end up buying a lot of our, our own review units, and to keep those costs down, we usually default to the entry level 16 gigs. So I have a bunch of 16 gigabyte devices that I use all the time. Like my personal carry iPhone 64, and I need all of that because of you know the live photos. I take up so much room, um, you know everything that I do with it. But 16 is small. Like the iPad I use every day is 16, and it is it's it's just a constant. It's just it's such a task, like managing that. It's just, you're giving yourself this never-ending task that you're always going to be struggling with. You know, I have to delete movies and download new ones. I have to delete photos. I can't keep anything. I can't keep any music on there. So yeah, 16 is really small. And we did get some pushback. Um, a lot of it was from people who deploy large numbers of devices, like, you know, at a, at a work, uh, an office or a school. And they're like, yeah, you know, I've got 40 devices and they're all 16 gigabytes and everything's fine. And I mean, and those people, you know, have um, reasons to not want, you know, their clients who are using these devices to load them all up with, with tons of stuff. I mean, if you're using something for work or school, they might want you to keep, you know, all your personal collections off of there. Um, but for me, yeah, for something that you're going to use every day and they just keep making these devices more and more compelling, like you're using it all the time, 16 gigabytes, it's, I, I think it's too small. Yeah, I, 
I think it's okay, actually, and, and I think it's because it's the cheapest of the phones, and that this is this is targeted at. They, they, they're trying to get the price down as low as possible. And so mm-hmm. I think on, a, on the lowest cost of all the iPhone models, of all the sizes and all the shapes, <laughs> uh, having it be this one be 16, I find much less offensive than the 6S being 16 as the, as the base. Because this, the part of the point of this phone is that it's, they're trying to get it down as cheap as possible. And for, you know, for the extra hundred, if you spend a little bit more, then you're going to go up to, to 64, right? Right. So, right. so that the, you get that you get that jump, but it just I I, I can I, I don't know I can forgive their cost cutting on this model because it feels like that's one of the reasons this model exists at all is to be the 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 low price leader of the iPhone lineup. Well, that's a good point. I would be surprised if they chose this product to you know switch that pattern of sixty four <laughs> right? gigabyte yeah, entry <laughs> levels. Like maybe they'll do that in the fall when the iPhone seven or whatever it's going to be called when that one comes out. Maybe they'll be like, okay, this one is going to enter at thirty two, and because it wouldn't cost them that much. I mean, I think they could they could do this. They wouldn't have to necessarily raise the prices, and they could make a lot of money. Like I would, you know, I I was glad that the iPad Air nine point seven inch. Starts at thirty two, but it also starts at a hundred dollars more than the iPad Air two, which started at four ninety nine for sixteen gigs. Now the cheapest um, nine point seven inch, you know, new iPad, I guess, is the uh, is five ninety nine for thirty two. Mm-hmm. So you know, it would have been really cool of them <laughs> to keep it at four ninety nine and still give you the thirty two because come on, man, storage is not as expensive as it used to be. But, you know, they're making money and I understand like why they're doing it. So maybe they'll change the pattern with iPhone storage with the next big iPhone. That seems like something you would do in a flagship phone. I think 16 gigabytes would be actually totally fine ex- uh, for the right person, except there's like this conflict. Some people were telling me on Twitter said, look, if you've got a user who's not doing anything fancy, right? They're not loading two gigabyte um, games. They're uh, using iCloud for everything. They don't even think about it. They configure it using iCloud photo library, optimizing the phone. And my reaction is that would be great, except my mother-in-law, who has literally nothing on her 16 gigabyte phone, who sends one iMessage a week t- between my wife and her she gets a message, her iCloud five gigabyte storage is full. And I'm talking to my wife through this. I'm like, did you look here? Whatever. She sends me a screen capture and it says, you're using 4.9 gigabytes of five gigabytes. You can't store anymore. And we look and there's literally nothing being used for storage when you break down the storage in iCloud. And she has like a, literally a 400K message archive. So troubleshooting that for someone, I mean, I realize this is like epiphenomenus, right? So the, the issue isn't 16 gigabytes as much as Apple's ability to correctly manage and flush stuff that's on the phone, like giant messages caches that can wind up being several gigabytes and you can't flush manually. You have to actually, you know, uh, uh, uninstall or uh, restore the phone. Um, iCloud only offering five gigabytes free when you have a 16 gig phone. So ostensibly, you're immediately having to be prompted to pay a monthly fee to Apple for that and so forth. So I think if Apple fix some of these problems, maybe even had a message purge option or whatever to get rid of some of that other storage. People are constantly emailing me about at Mac 911. Why do I have an other category on my phone? What's on there? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, if they did that, then 16 gigabytes is, I, so I think it's more practical for a lot of people, even if you're taking a bunch of photos, if that was all managed in the right way. And since it's not, I think that's what I find frustrating on behalf mm-hmm. of hundreds of emails I get about um, photos, uh, you know, iOS photos, iCloud photo library, and and that storage issue. But that's uh, that's entirely separate from whether I guess it's it's not that 16 gigabytes is per se inadequate as much as Apple's management of it 
with their cloud services and their own internal caching is the problem, to my mind. I'd much rather Apple keep the 16 gigabyte base models and up everybody's iCloud free iCloud storage to 10 gigs. Oh, How about that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. If I had to pick, <laughs> I think I think the iCloud five gig is just it's ludicrous. They need to they need to give these are people who bought their hardware. They need to give the free allotment needs to be better if it than were 10 it is. Gigs, and I think it would sweep in I like 95. Oh, sorry. Glenn's idea the other day was amazing. He said that if you buy the, you know, you buy the phone, you should get even if it's just for a limited time for like the year, two years, or whatever they think you're going to use that phone, you should get an iCloud, um, you know, free chunk in, to the size of your size phone. size of the phone. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I agree with that too. I feel like this is, you know, Apple's not just they're talking about making ser- a lot of service revenue, and that that I feel like this is a place where it erodes the user experience. Like yeah. if you give us money for a 64 gig phone, maybe <laughs> you should have 64. 64- gigs of storage on it as for three years or two years or whatever just just gratis and then if you also buy a 64 gig ipad we should add that to your account too, the same account because that's what happens uh, in my family not to get on the iCloud rant but it's yes. it's also it's not additive so every device can could... have five but it's tied to apple ids oh well I mean, they could sell you the space for all your collections for your photos and stuff, but they could say, like, they could say backups, iCloud backups aren't going to count against that that total because we want everyone backing up and we think, you know, we really believe in our iCloud backup system, we've made it more secure, we're encrypting it now, like, whatever they're going to do, they could say, look, everybody be backing up to iCloud, we're going to make it free, boom. And then that yeah. would get everyone using iCloud, and then we'd say, you know, oh, wow, I'm already using iCloud for this. Maybe I will finally, like, pull the trigger and start paying for, you know, iCloud storage for my photos or my other things. But right. just that device backup, the basic, like, thing that everyone should have and not everyone does, I feel like Apple could could supply that very easily. Yeah, it's a nominal cost it. for them because, yeah, it's a nominal <laughs> cost for them. But I think it's, it just has to hit the right department there where they think it's important. Or it's causing pain points at a level that it's affecting cust sat, right? It's just, uh, uh, it's, it's not painful in a way that I think people are expressing directly enough for them to react to. But, you know, I, I don't know. I think the cloud services, if they gave everybody 10 gigs or 20 gigs instead of five, it would literally cost them a few million dollars, I think, because most people don't use, most people don't exceed between five and 10 gigs. But I think a lot of people accidentally exceed five gigs because of the backups and, and other situations. But, well, uh, that's all, by the way, because uh, a lot, they're going to sell a bunch of iPhone SEs, and we'll see a bunch of those. Yes. Other. The, you know, interestingly, uh, part interesting part is that um, the uh, the iPhone SE, because it's going to look like an older phone, unless you get rose gold, you don't get any kind of bragging rights, right? You don't say, "Hey, this is a new, cool, whatever." I mean, I guess that was true with the iPhone. Uh, 6s and at 6s plus yeah. versus the six, but it's funny. There's no differentiation, so you don't know. People won't know you have a newer model. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they should have made the headphones gold or something. I it's got a headphone try. jack, though. That should make it. <laughs> yeah. It came up. Uh, so, listen, the next thing is uh, Watch came up, and I thought uh, I saw a lot of folks uh, saying, wow, that was really brief. And this might be, I don't know if this is the cycle that they would be normally introducing new watch models because it's in the March, April timeframe, but they've got some new bands. They cut the price. Any concerns about them uh, cutting the price in advance of having a new model available? Are we seeing uh, indications a new model is coming soon as a result? I haven't heard anything about a new watch. I think it might be a while. I don't know if they're going to do that this fall or wait another year or what. Have you heard anything, Jason? Well, there was one rumor uh, about it coming in the fall, which makes sense to me. That puts it a year year and a half out from the 
uh, for the hardware release and two years out from the uh, the announcement. I think they'll do a refresh. I actually, um, my feeling is that it's going to look basically like the one that exists now because I think on one level they don't want to ch- keep changing the design. Uh, I think stability is a good selling point in terms of the Apple Watch, even if they upgrade the internals a little bit. I think if they uh, if the message is you know every year or two your watch is going to be totally like obsolete, not just technically, but not even match the old models. So I think mm-hmm. they want to want to want to impress sort of stability for a while. So it wouldn't surprise me if it comes out in the fall with a new version that is fairly subtly different maybe uses you know uses all the existing watch bands and uh maybe is a little bit faster it has better some better internals there's a the rumor was that it might have a camera on it which sounds awful to me because it's just going to take pictures up your nose but um <laughs> yeah, uh, i don't need so, a camera the, but the watch band thing is, is is interesting and i do hope that they kind of maintain compatibility for a while with the watch bands because it turns out that, i mean they, they said like to. a third of the people who have the apple watch have multiple bands and i've got multiple bands and i think they're fun and um it actually makes me like my Apple Watch more because once I get sort of tired of the orange band, the orange sport band that I've got on right now, I'll switch to the black leather band and then that's fun for a while and it's just sort of, uh, you know, it, it makes it uh, a different thing on my wrist uh, from week to week and that's 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 fun and I know there's a fashion element of that, whether you consider that fashion or, or it's more about fashion as uh, what other people see on you but regardless of it, it, it it's a different kind of thing for them to have these accessories and they're embracing it right they said tim cook actually said um this is our spring colors these are our spring colors for the apple right watch on. bands which is like yep there it is yeah if they put out a new watch that was incompatible with the old bands that would be a big mistake and yeah, it would just make so. a lot of people angry they want they want to sell i think they want to sell the the watches like if you buy a watch in this at the beginning of the cycle you're going to be good for a while like even if there are, yeah. is a new watch you're not going to feel bad i mean it's the flip side of that um people don't know i'm using a new iphone i feel like this is the advantage of it is you you invested in that apple watch first generation um it should be okay for a while where people aren't looking at you like, oh, that's the old Apple Watch, right? Just kind of keep it going, keep the bands going, improve the. Honestly, the hardware I'm sure could be improved because it's been a year be and a half since they announced it. But the the OS could be so much better. Yeah. And the the first generation watches are going to be able to benefit from that, assuming they uh, uh, make changes there, which I think they need to. And I'm assuming it's 2018 before we see uh, cellular in there. Maybe GPS will come sooner. I think it's possible. Looking at. Uh, the Garmin watch that has GPS, uh, I know there's a few different models that do that, but the Garmin one, people have um, relatively positive things to say about a variety of aspects. Not the, I think the interface, the UI is not so great, but the function is not bad. It uses, uh, I think it's e-ink, so it's slow-powered, uh, and it can you know deal with it, but it's kind of big and clunky. So I don't know, GPS maybe is next year. I don't think they're going to get that this fall. I have a hard time believing, but I think cellular, for everything I read, is going to be at least two years uh, just for miniaturization and battery usage unless there's some big bake breakthrough but can we go back to the price cut because i you know usually you don't cut prices i mean so steve jobs 2007 famously cut the price of the iphone because they were charging essentially full bore people complained about it whatever he's like all right here's 200 dollars, right we're changing the model and they went full into subsidies uh the next year and um i i just wonder why cut the price usually cut price into face of weakness either or or a change in market so you're either trying to move inventory, you have hit a point of price sensitivity, or uh, you have a new model coming out and you're you're telegraphing it uh, by lowering the price. I don't know yeah. that any of those three things are what's going on, though. So that's why I'm confused. I feel like I feel like it's all of the above. 
<laughs> so, I, think, I think they've got, they've got inventory, and a new model will come this fall. And they wanna they want people to do this. It is also an iPhone accessory, so it ties you even more tightly to your iPhone because it only really works if you have an iPhone. That's the only way it'll work. And so they and they want they want people to experience the Apple Watch. So now that they and they probably have got production costs down a little bit too. So you eat a little bit out of the margin of the lowest end model uh, in advance of it being replaced in the fall, so that you can keep sales rolling and and blow out your inventory. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me. I mean, it, it does it does suggest that people aren't falling over themselves to buy Apple Watches right now. That its sales have slowed because it's kind of an old product and the holiday season has passed. But um, yeah, it, it seems logical to me, and I think it's Apple's benefit to get as many people having this Apple Watch experience as possible. Well, and one other thing that they mentioned, like Jason, you mentioned this already, is that people have more than one, most of the people who have Apple Watches have more than one band. So they probably make really good margins on those bands. Like some of the, it's like 150, 200 bucks for some of these bands. So if they can sell you the watch for a slight discount, like $50 is pretty good. And then you just turn around and give them that $50 back to buy, you know, another band. Um, they're, they're still coming out ahead. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's good. So that, that my what, that's good. It's all of the above is a good answer. <laughs> Everything is going on at once. I, you know, this is part of the uh, narrative of failure that gets uh, wrapped by um, pundits trying to get page views, I guess, or something. I don't know what they're trying to get uh, about Apple. You know, everything's doomed. Everything's bad. It's like the watch is shipping. I see them out in the wild. We know they're selling them. They didn't deprecate it. They talked about it again at this event. And while we don't know exactly how many units have shipped, it is substantial. And I think. Um, it's a funny thing to say we're the number one selling smartphone because the market is both small and diverse. So they probably, I mean, they certainly do have, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they have the plurality of sales or majority of sales because um, they didn't invent the category, but they matured it in a, and set the bar higher. But uh, it's certainly not a, uh, yeah, well, that, that watch idea was terrible. You know, egg freckles, let's move on. <laughs> um, can't pass the moment though, that little bit where they had the Newton and it was scribbled out during the 40th anniversary video they showed i lost it when i was watching it remotely it was cute and sad at once oh my gosh it's it's funny though that i mean i think people who don't remember the newton don't know that that is that is the gesture you use to delete a word that you were (laughs) writing on the newton so it's not just like it's not just aggressively crossing out the newton it's actually the newton (laughs) term for deleting a word is that 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 little thing so that was a that was good knowledge some deep knowledge in that an Easter egg. So meta. That was good. That was a good, oh, little, yeah. good little video. Uh, That's great. Uh, I, I'm going to sidebar again to the Cookie Monster, um, <laughs> the Cookie Monster Siri commercial. Mm. I am not a cynical bastard, but I'm pretty hardened against advertising. I try to look at it. It melted my heart. God damn them. I watched it yep. and I was like, this is cute. And I'm like, oh, this is great. And then I just started laughing and crying. So they, they got me. Cookie Monster makes everything better. It's true. It's just so, so dang funny. Uh, okay, iPad Pro is still on our agenda here, the 9.7-inch model. Again, widely anticipated and it seemed to have uh, appeared in a form that was pretty close to what was uh, expected. So, you know, we all know that iPad sales were um, – were, I don't know if it was plat- – the growth had stalled, right? Are they shipping smaller number of units in the last quarter? I can't remember what the uh, – there's a decline in unit sales. But uh, there's a lot of them out there. They have a long life cycle. My next-door neighbor, I believe, is still using the original iPad I bought – and then I sold to her. We have an iPad 2 in my household. We have an iPad 4 in my household. They all are great. They're in perfect shape. The glass isn't a problem. The batteries work. Hey, what's gonna what can gonna get me into a new iPad? Is this uh, is this Apple's response to that that cycle, Jason? Are they trying to like juice my interest? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. I think it's. I think it's clear that people use their iPads for a long time, and this is not a two-year a two-year cycle. But so it depends on where you are on the cycle when you when you look at this thing. But for for if we take the iPad Pro, the big iPad Pro, out of the equation for a moment, what's you know, what are the things that people have been asking for uh, on the iPad for a long time? Well, one mm-hmm. of them is this this uh, Apple Pencil thing, right? The, the the idea that you have a an Apple supported uh, stylus that you can use for drawing and taking notes that is and the Apple Pencil, the reviews for that have all been great. People love it on the iPad Pro, the, 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 the big model. So here it comes to the the 10-inch version. I, I think there are a lot of people who are going to love that. The, this is a much more uh, one-hand scale tablet than the than the iPad Pro. It's lighter. It's smaller. You can hold it in one hand, the, the big iPad Pro. See, there's it's very confusing because there are two of them now. Um, you hold it in one hand and sketch or take notes with the other. And that's not really something you can do with the big iPad Pro. So you, you, that and the fact that it is it is faster and it's got a lot of the innovations that are in the iPad uh, Pro 13-inch. Uh, but um, not all of them, which is very interesting. It's it's fascinating to look at the iPad Pro line right now and see that there's technology in each of them that is not in the other, which is weird. Uh, and I suppose it's just a factor of them both being developed probably in parallel. And uh, who knows if this was even intended to be an iPad Pro at that point or if it was really just built as the follow-up to the iPad Air 2. But regardless, it looks really impressive. And I think the pencil is going to get a lot of people off the fence because they're going to want to use the pencil and they've been uh, not willing to buy that big iPad Pro in order mm-hmm. to get it and I think so I think that's going to be the biggest winner and yeah it's got the keyboard cover too which is a shrunken down keyboard I'm not sure how much that's going to appeal to people but it's there if 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 uh, if you want to type on a shrunken down keyboard did, did they have uh, in the demo area were they able to show that uh, true tone feature which is supposed yeah. to be like uh, automatic color calibration essentially for your uh, ambient light yeah, it's beautiful. It's it's. I mean, it's almost like color decalibration, right? Because what you're doing is you're taking <laughs> you're taking the image on the screen and making it not neutral. But um, but what is neutral color anyway? Exactly. I'm sure we could have a whole discussion of color. Oh my gosh! Uh, oh, by the way, Phil Phil Schiller when he announced that feature and somebody gasped or whooped and he said, <laughs> "Oh, somebody here gets it." That was John Gruber, um, and he totally got it. And and I I, I was sitting there thinking, oh, uh, you know, because the idea is that instead of just having that ambient light sensor sense whether it's bright or dark in the room and adjust your brightness. Now the ambient light sensor senses the wavelengths of light in the room and makes a judgment about the color temperature of uh, of uh, of the room and then adjust the the display to match and they they did a great job I think explaining how white balance works in the sense that they they said imagine a white piece of paper and if you're outside in the sunlight it's going to be this color but if you're in inside with incandescent light it's going to be this totally more yellowy warmer cu- kind of color and right now our iPad white is always the same white and with True Tone it's not with True Tone if you're inside in that warm incandescent light the white background on a Document or like Apple Mail, which is one of the biggest offenders, right? It's just vast uh, white boxes with a little bit of text in it. Um, it will suddenly be more yellowy that white, and it won't. It might. It will seem more natural in a way because it's behaving as if it was light. The light in the room was reflecting off of the screen and coming back to your eyes like it would on a piece of paper. So I, I got to see it. It did. It did yellow up the screen a little bit in the ta- in the in the uh, the piano bar where we did the hands on. 
Uh, that was one environment. It will be interesting to see how it works in practice because I could also see this being a feature that seems like a good idea and then you turn it off because it's just yeah. too much. I, I often turn off the auto brightness for the same reason. It's like, stop adjusting my brightness. I'm trying to read something, right? Yeah. But it's a great idea and I do feel a pang as somebody who's got the big iPad Pro that this feature is only on the new smaller iPad Pro because it, if, it, if, it, if it's done right, it actually has great potential to just make your iPad experience feel more... Um, you know, more like an analog experience where you're not getting blasted by the wrong, uh, you know, because it'll tell your brain, like, this is the wrong white, what, what's happening. And then your, your brain's white balance is all messed up because you've got this b- super blue uh, white color coming into your eyes when you're sitting in a very yellowy kind of room. Yeah, I took uh, a color theory class, or the start of a color theory class in college. This is, you know, 30 years ago, and it was taught I'm by... I'm sure you did. I yes. knew you did. You I knew, I knew it <laughs> must be true. Dick Dick Lytle, uh, Richard Lytle, uh, was a student of uh, Yosef Albers, uh, and a great teacher. First day in class, he's telling us about color theory. He's like, look, this is how it works. Because I was once called to testify at a trial about the color or something. And I said, you don't want me. And the lawyer said, why? I said, let me show you something. Pull out two pencils, two greens. He said, what color is this? Holds it next to the other pencil. The lawyer says, it's green. Okay. Pulls out another pencil. Now what color is it? The lawyer said, oh, you know, expletive deleted. He said, yeah, we don't want you, sir. <laughs> we don't need you to show that color is a relative value depending on context. But uh, this is a time when I sorely miss Bruce Frazier, for those of you who remember him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was the, the color theorist, color theorist, this environment, and uh, wrote the classic book on it. And, um, you know, it's been gone years now. And he is uh, he would love this feature and be writing tens of thousands of words about it. Probably he would. Entire books. Craig Hockenberry has a book coming out, by the way. Craig Hockenberry talked on Twitter of uh, uh, Icon Factory. He's got a bullet book on color management in iOS coming out that's apparently he's been writing. And he was chortling yesterday about his timing. Wow, wow that's, cool. that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, if you want to be in a color color managed environment and see the color exactly as, I mean, there there are arguments to do it the, the opposite of this feature, but but this feature for regular people, I think it's going to be a really good feature to, uh, and it goes hand in hand with the night shift feature, right? Which just is shifting your color, your, the white point on your display to a very. Uh, very warm white point, pulling out a lot of the blue light so that you can sleep better, theoretically. I, I noticed they carefully worded everything they said about <laughs> that feature. Because it's sort of like, there are some studies some people might feel like they could sleep better. They're like, they're not making any medical claims about it. But um, like uh, True Tone, the, the night shift feature is is just changing the entire uh, color balance of the display in order to serve a, sort of a greater good. Yeah. Hey, uh, Susie, I know you had uh, you have thoughts about the iPad, uh, the iPad Pro Mini, the iPad Regular Pro. <laughs> the baby, the baby Pro. Baby Pro. See, I, I kind of think that Apple was really smart to bring out the big iPad Pro and sort of introduce new features in a new size because it really made people kind of pay attention. And if they had not done the big iPad Pro and they had brought out things like the pencil, the smart connector... Um, uh, the four speakers in just like a, a regular sized iPad that everyone's used to, I don't know if people would have noticed that much. But having like a big uh. one and saying like, look, this is our pro tablet, tablet. like this is the one that, you know, all the sites are going to call a Surface competitor. Like this is us really stepping it up. And then a few months down the line, they bring out like a more affordable one that's like at a, you know, more reasonable size that more people are going to buy. I think that was really a smart move by, by, by Apple. It's definitely more appealing to me to see the big one shrunken than the big one. I know uh, Jason. That one's a little one. Yeah, the little one. Jason, I know you're an iPad Pro fan, and it doesn't fit what I do need with from a computer or a tablet, but the the new, the small, the 9.7-inch iPad Pro, I'm looking at it going – 
huh, well, I get a pencil and then that, and then, hmm, um, and color, uh, maybe, okay, I can do photo. Uh, okay. So they're, they're sucking us in. Uh, Apple TV got a minor refresh. Um, they're, they're kind of moving along the path that we'd hoped they might have an introduction, but we're getting there. Uh, speak friend and enter your password. <laughs> you can just, uh, my, uh, okay, Siri, uh, uh, sorry, Ahoy telephone, uh, lowercase C pound sign backslash exclamation point <laughs> at sign capital W lowercase W. Oh, okay. I'm going to get there. Um, Seems like a nice and across across the room, Alexa appears and says, "I now have your password." Yes, yeah. exactly. They're going to compete with each other. Make sure to unplug Alexa before you tell Siri all your passwords. That's oh, hilarious. Yes. Can you do like an Alpha Bravo, like Yankee Hotel Foxtrot kind of thing with that? I'm curious. It would be interesting, interesting wouldn't it? it? It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what comes out the other end. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> yes. How uh, is this? <laughs> we're, we're just talking about Night Shift for a moment. Uh, I'm going to be working on a, I'm running a feature for Macworld about Night Shift, which probably won't be up by the time this podcast airs. We'll see. And, uh, talking to some color, uh, some lighting experts. It, you know, there are features like this. You could get Flux. Uh, you could install it with some real effort before it got pulled. Um, or Apple asked them to stop doing it for iOS, but it's available for the Mac. It's available for other platforms is f.lux. And uh, for Android, you can get that and other software. But this is me the first time that something I think there's like 500 million qualifying devices. You need you need a device released essentially in 2013 or later. An iPhone uh, 5s. I forget the earliest iPad Air if it goes back that long. Uh, so it's you know half a billion devices in use probably could take advantage of Night Shift. And I'm curious if it'll have an effect. Um, we heard already from. Uh, you know, one fella in the uh, in the industry, uh, Race era at DisplayMate, doesn't think that um, he's the head of uh, DisplayMate Technologies, but they're not competing with Apple on this per se. Uh, doesn't think that the shift is enough to actually meet what the clinical results show uh, will affect melatonin production and so forth. But we'll we'll see. Um, are you guys going to enable night shift? Did you, Jason? You had Flux installed or Flux? Uh, I did, and, and in fact, I've been running the 9.3 beta for a while because if you're running the um, the large iPad Pro, um, everybody should have probably tried to use the public beta. Of oh, that, yeah, it's yeah. all nine two nine two had some issues, um, even though it shipped with nine two uh, at that nine three fix. So I've been running it for a while, and I have been running it with Night Shift, and I like it. It, it um, I think it could probably be a little more granular than it is in terms of of, of control, but the fact that it's on the con, uh, the little flip up uh, control center bar means you can toggle it on and off super easy, and I like that about it. Uh, um, it's uh, not I, I don't always want to have it on, but I have been trying to do that in the evenings to have it to have it on and. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's it's actually a little bit like do-it-yourself true tone feature, which is even if I don't believe about the blue light thing, and I'm, I'm kind of uh, agnostic on that, I mean, maybe it would improve my sleep, and that's fine. But um, I my the lights in my house are incandescents in the living room, and we usually have them on low, and they're it's a super warm lighting environment, and so having the much warmer color point on my iPad when I'm in that environment. It's way better just just for uh, that, even though I don't have True Tone. Yeah. It's just nicer to not have that shocking blue light in my face. So, so yeah, I, I, I'm I've been using it and and love it, and I'm uh, looking forward to using it more. Susie, are you a are you a night shift? Er, um, I'm a heavy nighttime user of my iPhone and iPad, so I will definitely try it out. Um, I haven't been running the nine point three beta because I was using um, some devices that weren't really um, happy with. Uh, beta software so the yeah i'm definitely interested in trying it out 
I'm so tired all the time <laughs> that I don't know if it's going to make a noticeable difference. Like I was joking to my husband the other day. I was like, the nice thing about being tired all the time is that I'm drinking coffee like all day long. I can have a Starbucks <laughs> at like 7 p.m. and just fall asleep within minutes with my iPad like playing, you know, Netflix four inches from my head. It just doesn't matter. So it's going to. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it a shot <laughs> and it might just be like, oh, I just like this, you know, pleasant color cast a little better because it, like Jason says, it, you know, matches the light around and my brain doesn't have to, you know, deal with two different color temperatures at once. But I, you know, I, I doubt that it's going to, you know, I'm going to suddenly be getting more or better sleep I, than I, I am know. now because well, I love sleep and I just, yeah, I'm so tired all the time. <laughs> you'll be editing uh, you have a small, ch- small child and busy job. I realize. Uh, Apple, Apple, can you stop <laughs> Introducing things so quickly. Susie needs more sleep, as do we all. Uh, I, I'm curious because I've been reading the studies, and I'll be talking to some folks here shortly, and you'll be editing this feature. Maybe it will help you with your sleep. But uh, it's there's so much more settled information than I realized. A couple years ago, I started reading about this a couple years ago, and now there's a fairly good body of evidence about uh, how the, the melatonin production and, and other things. So even if you don't feel it, like you get to sleep right away, let's say you use a screen up until bed, you're like, I don't have this blue light problem. I go to sleep, which is what I think I have. It still can mess up your, uh, and, uh, endocrine, uh, system, endocrinal, I don't even say that endocrinal system. Um, even if you're not feeling the effects directly in the form of sleep. So I'm fascinated by it. I'm going to start using it. My iPad, of course, I have an iPad, Four, I think it's the, the fourth, the fourth one that was released. So it cannot support night shift. It's a year or so uh, too early. So maybe I have to get an iPad Pro for my sleep. It's a sleep Aww. benefit. Uh, yeah. Let's just uh, just give a shout out to Liam before we move on. Liam, the iPhone dis- disassembling robot. Hey, Liam. Or not? Oh, <laughs> he's, a, he's a robot. I swear to but God. Whatever, whether he's a robot or just a piece of uh, equipment, uh, it's a, <laughs> a cool, cool bit of technology. It's true. Uh, and I mean, now, they have tons of robots in factories. Do they give them all names? I, I don't know. Well, they like come Apple. in. They're like, "Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, George." Apple likes to personalize it. Uh, so we're going to be back in just a second to talk about the iMessage flaw for uh, for a moment. But uh, join us now as uh, as I take a visit to uh, visit one of our favorite creatures. Listeners, you, you need to keep quiet because we're, we're after an elusive prey, well, sort of a predator, kind of an apex of, of a chain of mindless beasts that roam these hollowed apple fields. But stay quiet. I think I see a head. Yes, there, there he is. Look, that beautiful, sleek coat, the shapely head. Well, the coat's made of red velvet and the, the head is the shape of an original Mac, but I think you know this creature we want to talk to best as the Macalope. Now, approach quietly. We don't want to startle him. Uh, hey, hi, hi, hi. How oh. are you? Oh, hi. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm... Uh, I was uh, just... I was trying to swallow a Rob Enderly calm. Uh, got kind of stuck. Uh, uh, all right. Oh, hi. How are, how are you? I, I'm I'm great. We want we you know we're coming. Usually, uh, uh, we get your your dispatches are are sent by um, flora and fauna. They're delivered by plants and mm-hmm. small woodland mm-hmm. animals, and uh, that's how you file. I know you don't have anything to do with our electronic system, but we thought. No, we'd I, come don't out. Like, I don't. I don't like CMS systems. Yeah, they're they're well. Talk about indigestible. So uh, <laughs> they're, they're always bad. To celebrate the 500th episode of the Macro Podcast, we thought we'd come out in the field. I mean, literally, you are outstanding in your field, so we thought we'd come and see you. You know, you've been a fixture 
of the Mac landscape now for many years. Um, being a mythological creature, you don't age, but I, I would think the toll of consuming endless uh, output of these uh, terrible pundits talking about Apple might take its toll. Do, do you feel, are, are you feeling, feeling spry yeah, still, it's, not it's Yes, yeah, you know, you have to, you gotta just stay in shape to be in this business, um, but you know, it's not the years, it's the mileage. It's the mileage. <laughs> it's the roughage. Well, you have the thankless task as an apex predator of, um, of hunting down uh, the weakest of the pundits as they roam across the veldt, and it, it turns out that they're mostly weak. There seem to be very few strong contenders in this field as they, you know, the majestic herds have been thinned because of newspaper layoffs and so forth, but, but a new, even more sickly breed has arisen as, yeah. as a, a new generation of pundits uh, comes to the fore. Uh, is, it, is it too easy? Is it too easy to take down? these uh, weak creatures? On any given week, it's, it's ridiculously easy, yes. Uh, every once in a while, it's, it's hard to find something to really ruminate on. Uh, however, uh, um, more often than not, it, it's a question of which piece to discuss as opposed to trying to find something to discuss. <laughs> which is crazy, right? Because it, shouldn't, it doesn't seem like it should be that... It, it, it's baffling that there could be so many bad pieces written about Apple that the Maclope has hardly any trouble finding something to write about three times a week. Uh, it's been it's been many years, and I think I remember when, when you first emerged from the woods, resplendent with antlers and, and Mac head, that we thought, ah, you know, a new creature has arisen above us to, to champion the cause, to, to take down the morons, who remain nameless, often cited in your columns, um, who are, can't accept the fact that Apple has made this comeback. It's 2016. It's the most valuable company in the world. They have like $200 billion in cash. Macalope, what, what, where do these people come from? Why are they still telling us Apple is doomed? I mean, should I be looking for a new job? It's a, well, it's a constant fluke, you see. It's, it's, Apple's continued success is, is always based on some sort of an accident uh, or, or some sort of trickery, which is you know, mar usually described as marketing. And uh, sooner, sooner or later, people will suddenly realize that uh, they are they're paying way too much for what are essentially commodity products and will summarily stop buying Apple products and the company will you know, return to it, it, the lowly state that it was in the 90s. Everyone is waiting for that Clay Christensen moment. It just seems like, you know, it's constantly waiting for mm -hmm. the innovator's dilemma to hit. You know, any hundred billion dollars now of cash in the bank, it's going to hit and then Apple will just be another Samsung. And there's nothing they can, they can do, certainly. There's no... Uh, there's no Thing that um, a company with so much cash and um, so many talented people working for them and such a, a, a breadth of, of strong products could, could do to fend this off. There's, a, there's, there's no way. It's coming. It's just, you know, just wait. Well, I think they're spending it all on Grubhub and Uber, so that, that money is going to go away very fast. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, there used to be, uh, I think there still are a crowd of um, other mythological creatures, avatars of different brands, and uh, used to have visits with the Winotar. We haven't heard... From him lately, I, I feel like the the roar out of Redmond has kind of uh, gotten stifled in recent years. Yeah, the Winotar uh, is is no longer um, really that one of the, their front man uh, as he as he used to be, and uh, so he doesn't. He's in sort of a semi retirement at this point um, because it is it is a bit of a different Microsoft than it was um, under Steve Ballmer. Not seemingly as ridiculous as they used to be. There's still some cherished myths about Microsoft. The the fact that you know that they there there are the people who believe that Microsoft can do no wrong, and uh, every once in a while I'll discuss those people. 
and they always seem to believe that, uh, you know, much as, as Apple is moments away from failure, that Microsoft is moments away from, from storied success. While they're doing better, they're, they're not as infallible as some of these people seem to think. Yeah, I picture the Winotaur sitting in a basement of like an original Microsoft building, maybe near the uh, Burger Master, playing Solitaire and Battleship and, and maybe well, some does, flight he controller. Does live, he does live in an actual maze, so oh, he's, oh, that's he is a, he's probably just retreated further into the maze. So I keep hearing about some new mythological comrades you have, uh, mostly in Silicon Valley. They're unicorns, and you know, unicorns used to be associated with uh, fair maidens, and only a virgin woman, uh, girl, could, uh, could approach unicorn, but that's not really how these billion-dollar companies work in Silicon Valley. It seems like they may be a little more approachable than that. But I keep hearing stories about unicorns being gored. Is there a bloodbath in the mythological kingdom? Um, that's, kind of, that's kind of the thing that's been going on for kind of a while, right? I mean, you go back to the 90s, that sort of thing. You know, there were many, many up-and-coming unicorns that uh, did not last very long. And, you know, and we in the mythological community generally, you know, we call unicorns one-trick ponies, right? Because they, <laughs> they just have that horn. They've got, you know, it's like, okay, it's a horse with a horn. It's not really, what, what, what's the big deal? And uh, sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't work out. So it's, uh, it's, not, it's not that much different than what it's been for a long time um it's the hype cycle right i mean people trying to say that uh some new i this, this new idea is going to be you know this unicorn is going to be your new bicycle and you'll be riding it all over the place and sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't that unicorn has a bicycle where it blows its own <laughs> horn right i might have crossed i might have crossed my metaphors <laughs> the, the apple the macintosh is a unicorn for the mind i think is uh it blows its own horn uh but uh, now, so uh, the Apple Watch was a terrible failure, we've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chris Finn just wrote a piece for Macworld a couple weeks ago about the uh, G4 Cube, which was a terrible failure. Uh, Apple seems to have had only failures, of course, since uh, the late 90s when it introduced the iMac. It's been, according to pundits, it's been failure after failure after failure. What's the next big thing from Apple that's coming that's going to fail in the, in, in the same way, i.e. making billions of dollars of profit and producing entirely mm-hmm. new markets? Well, in short, in short order, it'll be it'll be the smaller the return to the smaller phone. That's going to fail because they'll only sell obviously, tens I mean, of millions of them and fail. Yeah, ten, in in like at least four of them to me. <laughs> um, I don't know if you tried using these. Have you tried? You should try using these big phones with with hoods. It's not it's not pretty. So I'm I'm eagerly awaiting a sm- returning to a smaller phone. Uh, I you know I like I have a success right now and I like it okay, but uh, I would rather go back to a smaller phone. So it's a so, two um, hoof two hoof operation right very, now. You'd like it's to go back very to one tricky. Huff? I mean, at least you know like like uh, like deer my my hooves split, so it, it it's a little bit easier. If, if I was like a horse, I would it would be no way. But um, so no, a, a smaller phone is definitely for me. But, but of course, but of course, you know, it, it will be it will be the, the most immediate failure that we'll have. I, I also understand Apple's about to be broken up because of antitrust charges. That it's a monopoly because <laughs> it um, it's selling a lot of stuff. Uh, that's yeah. another Glenn. Somebody with Glenn with two ends. I don't know who they are. Is uh, explains this, and uh, it's one of your more recent columns. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's terrible. So Apple's a monopoly is being broken up into uh, what like iTunes as when iCloud and different divisions. Yeah, uh, well, strangely, somebody writing for a piece in the, the Hill, which is a Washington D.C. publication, uh, and and happens to be someone who consults on antitrust issues. So you know, just happens to be in the kind of industry that they would like to see flourish naturally. And if you know, if Apple were to be sued for antitrust violations and be considered a monopoly, that that might work out pretty well for some people. 
but that's a pretty uh, pretty difficult argument to make, considering that, as we are roundly told repeatedly, Apple is a niche player and does not have a substantial market share in any of the markets now. So, I'm not sure exactly how they could be both a monopoly and losers for not having enough market share at the same time. All I know is, if Amazon suffers a market share decline, Apple better get sued again. I think that's the critical <laughs> lesson here. <laughs> We've learned... Well, I will let you retreat back into the foliage. I know that you you try, tend to stay out of the spotlight, and uh, yeah, and, I've got well, I've got all these business insider pieces that I'm going to try and chew up. So that's uh, cider. I never thought about business insider. Business insider. I I think they didn't they intend that. They do not that, taste but, like do not taste like apples. Oh, it's terrible. Well, I I'll I'll get you to uh, to running down the pundits and taking the weakest, i.e., most of them uh, out of the herd, and uh, leaving us only with the best opinions to read. Thank you, Macalope, for being with us all this time. Thanks for coming on the 500th anniversary episode. Nice to talk to you. Thanks again to the Macalope for letting us uh, penetrate into the depths of the forest. Uh, it's full of, uh, strangely, it's not with apple trees, it's pear trees everywhere. You'd think thematically uh, he'd want to live. <laughs> that kind of orchard, but Macalope zigs when you think he's going to zag. <laughs> it's That's true. just how he is. Uh, but I do like the smell of his. I uh, love the lope of his pipe tobacco. It's uh, rather wonderful. It's just resplendent in that jacket. Uh, well, so there's one last thing to talk about this week, and uh, kind of put it at the bottom because it's apparently already been patched. But in the middle of all this FBI Department of Justice nonsense, researchers announced, and it actually it slipped out. I'm, I'm texting Susie uh, late at night. It's like 11 at night going, hey, the story just broke in the Washington Post. Oops, it's gone. Oops, it's back. Uh, there was an announcement on Monday that uh, Washington Post's uh, content management system. Who who doesn't love a content management system? Must have messed up. And they published, uh, but not before it was cached. And researchers at Johns Hopkins, including uh, Matthew D. Green, who's a very well-known cryptographer, an expert in uh, privacy uh, in cryptography, uh, Bitcoin, and other kinds of things like that. They discovered um, last year they did a project, he and several of his students, to look at iMessage and see what kind of flaws they could discover because it's a relatively unexamined protocol. And Apple publishes a technology description that's reasonably detailed, but they don't actually publish the protocol or any inner workings, um, the key secrets that they have that other organizations could release in a way that is secure so you could validate uh, keys haven't been modified. Apple doesn't do any of that. It's a closed system. And they found some serious vulnerabilities uh, with some effort, but still relatively low-hanging fruit. So were you disturbed that in the middle, uh, either of you folks in the middle of um, all this going on, that <laughs> turns out, hey, Apple may not have been vetting its own internal security that well, that all these vulnerabilities uh, were, or, you know, one primary one, but others have been identified? Does that, does that bother you, uh, the cleaning up one owns house, one's own house uh, situation? In theory, yes, but the details of this particular one, like it would have to be so targeted. Like it's not just like they can, you know, sniff out a bunch of, like it, it took them 36 hours of guessing codes and someone would really have to want into your thing. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely a problem and I'm glad Apple patched it, but it wasn't one of those stories where I read it and I was just like, oh, like the ransomware story from a little while back. I was like, oh, that could happen to anybody at any time. But this uh, this other one, it seemed like, you know, it's not just like a phishing thing or, or or something dumb you did. This is like someone's after you, right? Yeah, although I'm more concerned about, I think the issue, there's a few different things. One is if, uh, let's say the NSA has been, uh, it requires breaking through multiple levels of security, but not all of them are invulnerable. So that's the thing that I think mm -hmm. is troublesome. And Apple, uh, one of the key things that Apple is using 
long-lived encryption keys for iMessage. So it assigns you a unique key, and then it doesn't rotate it that frequently, which is very bad security practice. And when iMessage was invented, it was maybe seen as less of an issue. Now it's a huge issue. There's a lot of systems out there now. Uh, there's one called uh, Off the Record is the short version for it, OTR. And in that system, uh, I think the keys are these perfect forward security in which uh, there's no way to be able to figure out the previous key. Uh, no, you can't figure out the next key without knowing the previous one, but the previous one is destroyed. So if you don't know the sequence, you can't intercept in the middle and get a hold of it. The older keys are also all destroyed. So once, if you have a decrypted version, you're cool. Like you have a plain text transcript on your own machine. If you don't retain a transcript, the messages are undecipherable forever, even if someone obtains uh, uh, the, the cryptographic information later. So there's some issues about if the NSA, for instance, or any country or criminals have been siphoning up this encrypted information from iMessage. So the actual stuff they couldn't get into that, uh, they were able to get into a network access point or through malware or at a government level where they, um, subverted uh, certificates, uh, and grabbed this stuff. This might indicate that someone could go back and be able to decrypt that later with some of the information that was released, but it's, my take is that I think it's very unlikely very much of that was ever retained and only a very tiny percentage of that could even be vulnerable. So it's still unclear, but I think, I don't know. I think it was a wake up call that Apple is not uh, modernizing its own encryption security systems, even while it's, you know, putting out this message of being on the user's side, it actually isn't using any of the most modern techniques that are well known for the last several years to ensure um, perfect protection or as close to perfect protection of uh, private messaging. I saw something similar. Uh, security uh, researcher, I guess, uh, Jonathan uh, Zierski, um wrote a piece, uh, or he, he'd been tweeting about this, about um, what he basically says is Apple has been spending a lot of time focusing on front door security. Like you know, breaking into the phone, the basic levels of security, and what they um, what they have not done as good a job on is focusing on the security inside their devices, beyond the front door, beyond things like the passcode. Um, and this is actually leads to a lot of things that forensic uh, use can can have access to. So I, I feel like we're going to get uh, a new. Uh, commitment we've already gotten it probably inside Apple of securing everything and you know Zizyarski's example is iMessage right now like uh, it, it's a SQLite database and when it uh, when you delete a, a thread it doesn't delete the data it actually just puts a flag <laughs> and every now and then oh, it good. will go back and it'll delete the data it's all it's not meant for security purposes it's just meant for housekeeping purposes and uh, and so that's kind of ridiculous and it actually will leave a mark when you delete a message it'll say uh or a thread i deleted this at this time like it gives you detailed tracking information about what you deleted and again it was all built by developers not thinking about it in anything except for their own convenience so what he says is you should encrypt every item you should keep the keep the encryption key in this other area when you delete something you should blast the encryption key for that item and uh you know he lays it out it's like it's very it would be not i'm not it would be work right but it's like there is a very uh straightforward way for them to take something like iMessage's database and make it secure internally and change the way that uh, that people could look at iMessages. And Apple hasn't even begun to do stuff like that. So it, it's interesting to see that, that um, you know, security is such a huge issue. Apple's dancing on the edge of the volcano, right? But, <laughs> but there, it, it, it is also interesting to get that perspective of like, they've been focused on certain areas that are probably the most important ones, but that there are lots of other areas where Apple could probably stand some even more security focus. 
Yeah, and as I look at it, I think a lot of the stuff that they need to do is it's both complicated in that it involves overhauling things, but they don't have to invent from whole cloth. So there's a number of systems out there, uh, Whisper and uh, text sec- the systems and uh, text secure, which is used for uh, WhatsApp and a lot of other systems now. There's uh, other code that are um, that's available um, that is well tested and well deployed already. And I think Apple has been resistant in the past from you know they like to eat their own dog food, they like the invented here stuff and uh, even though they use a lot of open source and free software and integrate it into a lot of what they're doing but I think they've been dubious about some of that and rightly so when you've seen the security flaws that have hit and hit um, open SSL and some of the other uh, open source security stuff out there that's now being rectified finally with uh, some funding so Apple doesn't have to say okay we have to invent a totally new way of thing it's like no you could actually use the off the record software you could use you know you could adopt this or that, and the principles are so well known. Um, it just requires re-engineering and rolling it out, which is going to be a huge deal and might require a more major iOS or OS X uh, update to integrate it. But I don't know. I don't know how deeply rooted it is. Could they slip it out in a 9.4 update if they felt it was, or some changes in a 9.4 update? Hmm. Um, you know, one thing that was suggested by the paper's authors was Apple should uh, immediately delete like every iMessage key out there, like should just delete it and force all the clients to regenerate keys. At some level, it's not a big deal because Apple maintains all that infrastructure and, and ostensibly can force that to happen and then could actually make that happen every day. And at some cost on their back end, but users would find it um, completely unnoticeable because uh, the only issue is queued messages that weren't delivered yet. They would be unreadable if the message key were deleted during the time between the message wasn't delivered and when it was, but there's ways around that as well. Um, you can continue to add more keys to it. But anyway, I think that's probably all we need to say about that for now, because Apple ostensibly patched the major stuff either with uh Band-Aids or um, permanent uh, repairs in uh, the iOS 9.3 and OS 10, 10.11.4 updates. And if you're listening to this and you haven't updated, I highly recommend updating as soon as possible. Um, the 10.11.4 update, it took like uh, 30 to 45 minutes on each of my computers. I was surprised. The more recent uh, OS 10 updates don't usually take that long for me. They're more like 15 minutes between the reboots and everything. And this was a long one. So um, it was like 1.4 gig download on uh, each of my Macs. So how long did that take you to download, <clears throat> Glenn? Oh, you know, it, it's funny. I did one during the day and it took like uh, 40 minutes. And I was like, hey, this is unacceptable. And then at night I did it. It took a minute. Sorry. But the download part was the download part was a minute. Really took a minute fast. to download late, but I had to wait till later. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but so install those updates and we haven't yet seen whether they're going to update past uh, 10.10 uh, or 10.9, which they have released um, updates for recently. And uh, ostensibly they, they could still do that just for the iMessage component. Well, this has brought us to the end of uh, Great Landmark, episode 500. A little uh, under 11 years, I think, we're at now. And um, so, uh, Jason, I hope you join us for episode 1,000 when we're old and gray. Or That's my plan. In 500 years, 500 we'll years. be right back here. Far in the future, uh, I'll, be, uh, I'll be a Morlock deep beneath the earth. You'll be an Eloy uh, dancing around eating delicious vegetables and uh, fruits that I deliver to you. Uh, and Su- Susie will be running the whole affair. Uh, so thanks, Jason <laughs> Snell, for joining us. Susie Oaks, great to talk to you, as always. Yeah, thanks, guys. I mean, and we want to thank the the listeners so much. Like, 500 is, is really special, and you guys make such great podcasts all over the internet, so I just want to salute both of you. Well, thank you very much. Yay, been a thanks. pleasure to do this thing, and thanks to everybody who's been listening. Uh, even if you haven't listened the whole time, you can go back and get back episodes. Okay, go catch up. And we'll, <laughs> we'll wait for you. Uh, so this has been Episode 500 of the Macworld Podcast for March 23rd, 2016. You can find us at macworld.com 
write us at podcast at macworld.com. We've gotten some letters. Send us some more. And we will be back next week with episode 501. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>